0: We have heard Dana read the scriptures, and the last line of that is that Peter gets up and runs to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He sees the linen cloths by themselves, and then he goes home, and he is amazed at what has happened. I think that the words amazement and disbelief are probably two of the most accurate words that describe all of the followers of Jesus upon his resurrection. Peter is standing there staring at an empty tomb and he is amazed. The women who were the first ones that Jesus revealed himself to. That uh, he actually talked to and they touched him and they worshipped him and other gospel accounts. They, they didn't believe that it was Jesus. They believed that someone had come and taken his body. And when those women went back and they told the the 12 disciples and the other disciples of Christ, they thought it was just an idle tale. Later on that day, Jesus was walking with two of the followers of, of him on this road to a nearby town called Emmaus, and Jesus comes alongside them and walks with them. They don't even recognize him. He's right there with them, and he begins to talk about how the Messiah had to suffer and how all the Scriptures pointed to that reality. And it says that he opened up their minds to understand the Scriptures. They didn't get it. It didn't register. Even the times where Jesus said, The Son of Man's going to be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, he's going to be crucified, but on the third day, I will rise again. For some reason, that did not compute. It was that much of a surprise in their life. They weren't just waiting around saying, well, it's a good thing that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead in a couple of days. I know that crucifixion had to sting a little bit, but he's going to be raised from the dead. They didn't see it coming. And so we see Peter looking at an empty tomb. And then he goes home amazed. That's really what we're doing here today. We're standing here, metaphorically, looking at the reality of an empty tomb. And I hope that you are amazed. That's really what worship is. Worship is when you stare at the things of God. You behold the things of God. You take in. You look. And it might not all make sense. It may not all be two plus two is four. It may not fit within our little calculations of how we think life is meant to be and because of that we say wow this is bigger than me this is bigger than us this is more than what we can comprehend and we are amazed and that is why we worship you have come today to worship a god who is bigger than your understanding You have gathered today to worship a God that that you're meant to look at this empty tomb reality and marvel and say, how, why, and maybe even the most important of all those things, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us There was another person that Jesus revealed himself to, and we're going to spend a significant amount of uh, the sermon today uh, in one of his letters, and that's the Apostle Paul. Paul himself had his own experience and encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Paul was names was Saul at the time, and he was a persecutor of the church. And on his way to Damascus, Jesus showed up and stood in Paul's way. And the light was so bright that it blinded Paul for three days. Paul had his own three-day experience, his own death and resurrection experience, whereby the old had passed away, and he was given an entirely new life, an entirely new direction. And about 15 to 20 years later, we get all of these letters that come from Paul to the churches. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, which is where I'm going to spend the remainder of the rest of today's sermon. He says this, he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me has not been in vain. Those whom Jesus has revealed Himself to knew that they didn't deserve it. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times and had run away and wept bitterly, knew that he did not deserve for Jesus to reveal himself to Peter. Those apostles who all deserted him and ran away knew they didn't deserve for Jesus to come and appear to them. They knew it was only by God's grace. These women who had stood around and watched the crucifixion in agony and horror, there was no pride in them. Their position in society didn't really allow them to have any kind of pride in themselves anyway. They knew that it was only by the grace of God that Jesus would appear to them. And we, too, stand in this place where we realize it's only by God's grace that we get to even marvel here and wait for Christ to appear to us in our lives. Paul continues on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. He says, If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. He is saying that the resurrection is everything. This is not some side doctrine on the edge of our faith. This is the central historical truth and reality of who we are, of who God is, and the interaction between the goodness of God and His creation. The interaction between the goodness of God and the darkness of sin has come together in this empty tomb. The resurrection is everything. And you really comes down to you either believe it or you don't. You either believe that God raised a man in the middle of history and He raised him up never to die again. We're not talking like Jesus when He raised Lazarus up. Lazarus died again. But when God raised Jesus up, he was given a new body, an incorruptible body, a body that will never perish, a body that will last forever and ever and ever. No no need for rotator cuff surgery someday. No need for stents. It's all good. It's going to last forever. It's the real deal. God gives Jesus this new body, the resurrection is everything, And so what else does this mean for us? Well, first it means that Jesus is the new human. He is the new Adam. Verse 21, "...since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ." Adam was the firstborn of creation. We are all descendants of Adam. Adam had sin, and that sin led to death. We all are headed in the same direction. We can push back death maybe in life. But we can't stop it from coming. Death is a reality and we all have to face that at some point or another. The earlier in life you can face that, the the better off you'll be because you'll be more grounded in the truth about life. But death is real and death is universal. Adam's sin led to death. But Christ, who was not full of sin, took death upon himself. And in doing so, in being raised from the dead, it's as if Christ created a new pathway for us, that sin no longer has to just end up in death, but that sin which ends in death can continue on, that that we can continue on through that, and that life can happen on the other side of our own brokenness and on the other side of our own sin and on the other side of the mess In the messiness of this world that we find ourselves in. Christ has made a new way, and it is a way of life. Jesus is the new human. He is the firstborn of a new creation. God God and Jesus, when God raised Jesus up out of that grave, God began a new creation, a new created order. He started something new and Jesus is the firstborn of that creation. 1 Corinthians 15:24 It says, "Then comes the end when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death." Jesus is of the lineage of David. He is called the son of David. He is of a royal lineage. And he is a worthy king. And because of that, God has not only raised him up from the grave, but he's raised him up into the heavens. Right now, at this very moment, Jesus Christ rules over all heaven and earth. All of authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. Now, you go ask your average person on the street, and most people would not agree with that, or they would not see that or recognize that. But that's the gospel that we see and that we proclaim, that Christ rules over all things. Jesus does not rule through the power structures of this world. If Jesus wanted to set up an earthly-only kingdom, he would have called 10,000 angels, as he said, Don't you know I could call 10,000 angels right now to overtake the world? If Jesus wanted an earthly rule and reign, he could have gone and, and taken over Caesar's place in Rome and been at the center of this world and just kind of stayed on human throne after human throne. But his kingdom is not of this world, and he rules in a different way. He is not limited to the power structures of this world. And so while Jesus is ruling, we get to be his servants. We get to follow him. We get to allow his rule and his kingdom to be played out in our lives. We are his servants and his children. And when you live your life for him, then you are extending the reign and the rule of Christ into your world and into your life, and into your family, and into your workplace, and into your social circles, and into the brokenness of this world. That's how Jesus reigns in this world. I'm always amazed that the first people that Jesus revealed himself to were women. Women in that society did not have near the status that men did which is partially why the women in that culture could go to the tomb without as much fear of their life because women in that day, just, they didn't just do insurrections, right? They didn't uh, do revolutions. It was always men who did that. And so they were these, sub, it's like subversive messengers underneath the radar screen spreading the good news of God. You may feel like in your life, You're not anything special. Maybe you're exactly where God needs you to be to do His work in His kingdom. Not only does Jesus rule right now, but His promise is that He will return. That every enemy will be put under Him and that He will return. And in that day, all will see. You see, the resurrection of Christ is something that happens in the middle of history. But in the end of history, at least history now as we know it, Jesus will return to complete the work that He started. And resurrection will happen everywhere. Not just one person being raised from the dead, but many raised from the dead. Never to die again with new bodies that don't wear and don't corrupt And so we stand here looking back at an empty tomb, but we also stand here looking forward in anticipation of Jesus who will come and complete that which he has started. Until then, we have work to do. And so as we, like Peter, stare at this empty tomb in amazement, what does all that mean for us in the here and now? Well, one thing it means is that in Christ, you are a new creation. It means the old has passed away and the new has come. I want to invite you to think about just all the bad stuff in your life. Maybe it's your sin. Maybe it's uh, uh, your financial situation. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your you fill in the blank. Okay, I want to invite you to take all of that and to put it in into that tomb with Jesus. Just stick it in there. There's plenty of room in there. Just put it in there. But let your sins be hung with him on the cross. Let them be all over him and and let the body of Christ go into that tomb and put your stuff in that tomb and imagine what God can do. If God can take a body that was humiliated and shamefully crucified, I can't imagine the amount of pain involved and the amount of humiliation involved in that. And if God can take that and bring glory out of that, then Somewhere in God's promise, he can bring glory out of whatever's going on in our our life right now. And he may choose to do that sooner or he may choose to do that later, but his promise is that he will be glorified. And part of that means that he is glorified in our lives. If he is glorified in the death and the resurrection of his own son, then he can also be glorified when we give our lives to him in the midst of our struggles and trials and challenges. That's part of what it means to be a new creation. The old has passed away. As Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old has passed away. And in Christ, you can worship, you can pay homage to, you can serve, and you can live for Him. There's no greater meaning or purpose for your life It's easy in life to get caught up into thinking, well, the purpose of my life is to make a lot of money or the purpose of my life is to be well-known or the purpose of my life is to be comfortable and have as many comforts around me as possible or the purpose of my life is to be successful, whatever that means. Those are not necessarily evil, but they're not enough. Ultimately, we were made to serve and to love God and to live for Him and His kingdom. And that is designed to go above and beyond everything else and everything else, everything else we would ever want. We are called to surrender to Him. When we catch a vision of the resurrected Christ, when we see the empty tomb, when we anticipate His coming to complete what He has already begun, then we find the deepest and most meaningful purpose in our life. It is what you and I were made to do, to worship and follow this living Jesus and to live out as servants and children of his kingdom. Let us pray.